Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hi, everyone. Dan Aminder here. On behalf of all of us at Cardiners, we are thrilled to bring you our Decipher the Guidelines series for the 2022 AHA, ACC, HFSA Guideline for the Management of Heart Failure. Get ready for short and bite-sized, high-impact, clinical vignette-based questions designed to highlight core concepts based on cutting-edge evidence that are relevant to your practice. The cases we use are hypothetical and for educational purposes only. This series was developed by Cardiners and created in collaboration with the American Heart Association and the Heart Failure Society of America. It was created by 30 trainees spanning college students through advanced fellowship with mentorship from Dr. Anu Lala, Dr. Robert Menz, and Dr. Nancy Schweitzer. We thank Dr. Judy Bizanson and Dr. Elliot Antman for their guidance. So join us as we get to learn about the guidelines and beyond from 16 leading faculty experts. With that said, it's time to get nerdy. The following question refers to Section 6.1 of the 2022 AHA ACC HFSA Guideline for the Management of Heart Failure. The question is asked by Keck School of Medicine USC medical student, CardioNerds intern, Hirsch Elhens. Answered first by Mount Sinai Hospital Cardiology Fellow and CardioNerds Fit Trialist, Dr. Jason Feynman, and then by expert faculty, Dr. Mark Dresner. Dr. Dresner is an advanced heart failure and transplant cardiologist, professor of medicine, and clinical chief of cardiology at UT Southwestern. He's the president of the Heart Failure Society of America. We're very honored to have him here. Dr. Drasner, welcome. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks, Mark. So our question today is about a 67-year-old man with a past medical history of type 2 diabetes, hypertension, and tobacco use, who presents to the emergency room with substernal chest pain for the past five hours. An ECG reveals ST elevations in the anterior leads, and he's transferred emergently to the cath lab. Coronary angiography reveals 100% inclusion of the proximal LAD, and he is successfully treated with a drug-eluting stent. Following his procedure, a TTE reveals an LV ejection fraction of 35% with the hypokinetic anterior wall. Which of the following medications would be the best choice to prevent the incidence of heart failure and reduce mortality? Option A, lisinopril. Option B, diltiazem. Option C, carbetalol. Option D, Secubitril Valsartan, and option E, both lisinopril and carbetalol. And I'm, I'm on my research here. I'm kind of rusty on GDMT. So Jason, I would love your help figuring out the answer to this question. Thanks for a great question, Hirsch. So the correct answer is E, both lisinopril and carbetalol would be appropriate to reduce the incidence of heart failure and mortality for this patient. So looking at the guidelines, evidence-based beta blockers and ACE inhibitors both have a class 1 recommendation for patients with a recent myocardial infarction and a left ventricular ejection fraction of less than 40% in order to try to reduce the incidence of heart failure and to reduce mortality. Multiple randomized control trials have investigated both medications in the post-myocardial infarction setting, and both have demonstrated improved ventricular remodeling as well as benefits from mortality and development of incident heart failure. At this time, there's not sufficient evidence to recommend Secubitril Valsartan in ARNI over an ACE inhibitor for patients with reduced left ventricular ejection fraction following an acute MI. And this was looked at in the Paradise MI trial. The Paradise MI trial randomized a total of 5,661 patients. The myocardial infarction, which were complicated by a reduced ejection fraction, these patients were randomized to either Secubitril Valsartan at a dose up to 9,703 milligrams twice daily 
or ramipril at five milligrams twice daily. And after a median follow-up time of 22 months, there was no statistically significant difference in the primary outcome of cardiovascular death or instant heart failure. So at this time, ARNIs have not been included in the guidelines for this specific population. Regarding our other choice, diltiazem, diltiazem is a non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blocker, a family of drugs that can have negative inotropic effects and which may be harmful in patients with depressed left ejection fraction. These are considered to be class 3 for harm. So our main takeaway, for patients with a recent myocardial infarction and a reduced left ventricular function, both beta blockers and ACE inhibitors have class 1 recommendations to reduce the incidence of heart failure and decrease mortality. Dr. Dresner, when you see patients like this in clinic or in the hospital who've had recent myocardial infarctions and a reduced ejection fraction, what's your approach regarding initiation of guideline-directed medical therapy, and when do you consider ARNIs in these patients over medications like ACE inhibitors? Yeah, thank you. From a historical perspective, this is a great question because I vividly remember when I was a, I believe, a senior resident, the SAVE trial got published in the New England Journal by Dr. Pfeffer, which took patients post-MI low EF and randomized them to captive placebo and showed a reduction in the development of heart failure. And it was breathtaking because we finally had some therapy that can alter the natural history of this disease. And we've come a long way since then. And certainly, ACEs and beta blockers are both well known to be indicated in, in this setting. I think during the index admission, you're going to want to get your patient onto both ACE or beta blocker. I would say Paradise MI was somewhat disappointing. I think many of us in the field were expecting that was going to be a strongly positive trial following on the Paradigm HF study in chronic heart failure. And frankly, we're somewhat disappointed that uh, Arnie did not beat out conventional therapy in the post-MI setting. I'll say that was also then shortly followed thereafter by LIFE, which also disappointingly did not show benefit of ARNI versus conventional RAS blockers in the setting of advanced heart failure. So for now, in my practice and in guidelines, it's really class 2, 3 heart failure that ARNIs are indicated to substitute for ACE or ARB, not across the full spectrum, which is different than, for example, another therapy we should talk about, which is MRAs, which really are indicated across the spectrum, including post-MI setting with low EF, especially in a diabetic patient. I think it's important to recognize that ARNIs are not indicated across the broad spectrum as these other therapies are. And then lastly, we also have to kind of talk about SGLT2 inhibitors because, you know, these have appeared on the scene. We do not have post-MI low EF evidence yet. But we do have, of course, chronic heart failure. And we also have in patients who just have diabetics, so on the early side of the spectrum, if you will, that beneficial in developing heart failure. So in this particular patient, even though the patient's post-MI, I would look at the fact that the patient was diabetic, and I would use that as an indication to apply therapy with SGLT2 inhibitors as well. And then, of course, statins post-MI would be in the, in the mix as well. So I would try to get uh, beta blockers, ACE, and I believe SGLT2 hit inhibitor early on. And I think one could even argue MRA early during that index hospitalization. If not, then shortly thereafter would be my practice. Thanks for all of that. From a, from a mechanistic standpoint, what do you think is so different about the acute post-MI period that maybe ARNIs weren't statistically better than conventional ACE or ARB therapy? Yeah, that's a uh, important question and one that is not yet well understood. There's various arguments that have been made for the results of Paradise. One is that the event rates were very low, lower than historical event rates, perhaps reflecting the improvement of overall kind of other guideline-directed medical therapy that may have influenced the outcome. The comparators in the trial, whether it's ACE or ARB, may matter. And there may be something different about the post-MI state, although animal data would not suggest that. And then the experience with the other therapies, as I discussed, would not suggest that. So I think it's not quite 
known why that result was, but it's hard to ignore it because it was a well-conducted large study and uh, was not a positive trial. Jason and Dr. Draster, thank you for such a fascinating discussion. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank <laughs> you.